we have arrived at our lecture on Galatians. Galatians is probably, I think, my favorite Pauline letter. Maybe Romans. Galatians, though, I really like. I have, I've had a lot of experience with it when I was in seminary. I did a project where I translated the whole book of Galatians and analyzed it grammatically and uh, analyzed the manuscripts underlying them and ended up being like a, it's kind of just basically like a 50 page mini commentary on Galatians, which, um, you know, if any of you want to read it and you're more than welcome to, but, uh, and I'll gladly give it to you. But the book itself is very, very, a very strong expression of Paul's theology and of Paul's thinking on this whole issue of the relationship between Jew and Gentile. So I want to dive into that so we can spend the majority of our time there. Paul writing to the Galatians, right? That's easy to figure out. Paul an apostle, and he gives a, uh, an aside there, to the churches of Galatia right? The end of verse two. So Paul to the Galatians. I skipped the middle part for a reason. Um, there's an issue here, an interpretive issue that uh, will, that impacts what date we think it was written in. So there is what's called the North Galatian theory and the South Galatian theory. The reason it's called a theory is because we don't know for sure which one it is and we kind of have to weigh the evidence one way or the other. It's not like uh, it's not like Rome, right? Like Paul writing to Rome. There's only one Rome. Um, and so the interesting thing is that there were two regions that were uh, referred to with the term Galatia. And, or where people that were in those places could be called Galatians. And we don't know for sure which group it was written to. Okay, so the North Galatian theory is the theory that refers to Galatia as a geographical region. And this is a, the, the northern area where Paul would have gone on his second missionary journey. So since it's during Paul's second missionary journey, that means that it's toward the middle of his ministry and is slightly later, so we'd put that in the 50s AD. The South Galatian theory, which has just more recently kind of developed in the last hundred years or so, is the theory that it's referring to not the geographical region of Galatia, but the political region of Galatia. So what it was referred to as, by the Romans as Galatia. And Paul, in his letters, does refer to often the Roman name, the, Rom the given Roman name for a region. And so the argument goes that, that uh, the, Paul was using that name, and so he was referring to South Galatia. The problem, though, is that we don't see any record of him having really interacted with uh, this area much and it seems clear from Galatians that Paul would have that Paul had gone to this area this place before had preached to these Galatians himself and so there's a gap there 
in terms of the evidence. So we have the north where we see in the book of Acts that Paul did definitely go up in this region during his second missionary journey. Then we have the south, Galatian theory, which would be that Paul went there earlier during his first missionary journey and we just don't have any record of it, which is totally uh, possible because like we've talked about, uh, narrative emphasizes particular things for a particular reason and, and Luke writing Acts may have just left out um, that trip to uh, to Galatia where he started a church so so those are the two theories and so if we choose the north theory then it's the mid 50s if we choose the south theory then it's mid to late 40s um, what is really impacted by this though is since you've already read Galatians you know about this Paul makes mention of a trip to Jerusalem in chapter 2 and so the question is, and, and in this trip to Jerusalem, they talk about the issue of the relationship between Jews and Gentiles in, in um, Galatians chapter 2. And the, and the, uh, the conclusion is that, uh, if you look, for example, the conclusion of that is that, that, Paul should go to the Gentiles, right? That, that they should be able to remain uncircumcised and go to the Gentiles. Now that's similar to, but not exactly the same as what we looked, about, looked at in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 15 with respect to the Jerusalem council. So some people will say that Galatians 2 and Acts 15 both refer to the Jerusalem council. That would be the North Galatian theory. They're saying that, and so Paul is using that uh, as support for his his argument however so but i would argue and so i'm i'm in the south of galatian theory camp and so i would say this is uh the earliest if not one of the earliest pauline letters as it's in the it's written in the 40s the reason being that there's a lot that Paul, if the if the Jerusalem Council had already happened, then I don't think Paul would have needed to write Galatians because if you remember, the result of the Jerusalem Council was that they sent letters out to the churches to address the very issue that Paul is addressing in Galatians. And so, if anything, I think it makes sense to have it the other way around that this that the Galatian letter was a part of Paul's thinking as he went to the Jerusalem Council rather than this was written after the Jerusalem Council. That doesn't make any sense to me because there was the, the issue had already been decided by the church. So I'm in the South Galatian uh, camp, and I'm okay with the fact that Acts doesn't mention Paul going to that um, a particular region, or, and doesn't refer to it necessarily as that, as that uh, region. And, um, and I would say that this actually takes place before the Jerusalem Council, and that Paul is referring in Galatians 2 to a different trip that he made up to Jerusalem, one that took place before the Jerusalem council. So I would say that the message of Galatians, and I think this comes through pretty clearly, is that Paul wrote to the Galatians. This is Paul's uh, original purpose. Paul wrote to the Galatians to encourage them to reject the new teaching they received and to embrace the free gift of righteousness that they had been given in Christ. So there's this whole issue in Galatians between what we're calling the Judaizers, people who were 
trying to make the Galatians into Jews. The Galatians weren't formerly Jews. They were trying to make them into Jews, um, saying that it's not enough that you have faith in Jesus. You must also obey the works of the law. You must also be circumcised. And so for Paul, this is a big no-no because he's saying, no, no, no. The whole point of what Jesus has accomplished is that it's it's out it's operating outside of the law it is the 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 beauty of the gospel is that it's superior to the law in that it solves the problem of sin the being circumcised isn't going to help everything anything that doesn't solve the problem of sin so these people have a misunderstanding of what the law was meant to accomplish they have a misunderstanding of the gospel the, these people that are that are troubling the Galatians and so Paul is writing to them to the Galatians to say no embrace that message that I originally gave you and and that is a message of free a free gift from God the free gift of righteousness that, that they've been given through faith in Christ they need to embrace that and reject this new teaching that they are receiving from these Judaizers who are saying they need to be circumcised in order to um, in order to be justified, in order to be declared righteous. So uh, the structure here, if you look at the greeting, uh, the, so, so a, one of the issues is that it seems obvious from the letter that the people that were opposing, that, that were coming with this new teaching that you need to be circumcised and, and to obey the works of the law, that they had been questioning Paul's authority. And so Paul is doing a couple different things in this letter. Number one, he's establishing his authority as an apostle and saying, these other people, they're not apostles. These, these Judaizers, they're not apostles. I'm the one that has the authority. I'm the one that's been sent by Jesus, and I'm an authorized representative of Jesus, and I can uh, make these decisions, right? And my gospel is a, is a true gospel. I didn't receive it from people. I received it directly from a revelation of Jesus Christ. And so he's trying to establish his own authority as an independent apostle sent by Jesus. And so um, that's a big theme throughout. So the, he's, he's trying to say, my message, my, the gospel I preached is authentic because I got it from Jesus directly. And he authorized me to give this message. So not only is my message pure, but I have the authority to authenticate it. Okay. And so that's why I skipped uh, in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 1 of Galatians. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. And so when he says, I'm an apostle, not from man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, he's making the point that my apostleship doesn't come, my authority to um, to go forward with the message of Jesus Christ and to plant churches and to speak authoritatively on these matters of faith doesn't come from from just a mere person. It comes from Jesus Christ himself, the subject of the gospel. And so he's um, so Paul's already getting into that argument that he has this authority. Now going to verse six, he says, um, he says, "I am astonished that you are so quickly." deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. 
As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So he's saying that these people, these Judaizers who are coming in saying you need to be circumcised, who are saying you need to, to do works of the law, they are preaching a different message. So when you add, according to Paul, when you add something to the gospel and say it's, it's grace plus something else, grace plus circumcision, grace plus works of the law, that, that you are, you have changed the message and are no longer preaching the same gospel that Paul preached. So then Paul goes into the idea that he was called by God himself. This is in chapter one, and he's trying to establish his independence as an independent apostle. He does this again in chapter two saying, yeah, he did go up to Jerusalem, but his, uh, he didn't receive his gospel from them because he received it directly from Jesus. He didn't receive his authority from them either. He just received kind of like their, their blessing and, and their authentication saying, yeah, no, you're doing the right thing. And so he's, he's saying, he's being really careful. He's saying, my message came from Jesus, but it was, it was also affirmed by the other apostles. They said that we were on the same page, but it didn't come from them because if it comes from them, then he's subordinate to them. And that means that his authority is somehow less and he, he doesn't have the authority to, to command these kind of things of the Galatians. And so the, the assumption is that the, the, the Judaizers, the people who were, who were preaching a different gospel than Paul were questioning his authority and were saying that he was a lesser apostle. So the Galatians don't really need to listen to him. So he even says here, in verse 11, but when Cephas came, so this is when, uh, later when Cephas came to Antioch, when Peter came to Antioch, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. So he was having table, this issue of table fellowship, who you ate with, remember, is a really big deal. And for Jews, for Jews, Jews and Gentiles, before they were a part of, uh, before they were in Christ together, before they shared a common faith, they wouldn't eat together because Jews would consider Gentiles unclean and they would feel like if they ate with Gentiles, then they would also be made unclean. But remember the issue with Cornelius, right? Jesus gives a vision to Peter and says, do not call unclean what I, what, uh, what I have made clean, or do not call common what I have made clean. And so, uh, Peter has had this interaction with uh, with Cornelius over this issue of food and has has entered Cornelius's house and and so he gets it he shouldn't have a problem with this so he's and he doesn't at first so he's eating with the Gentiles but when these men from James came when they came he drew back and separated himself fearing the circumcision party fearing the people that would say oh no you need to be circumcised and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in, was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So he's saying, Peter, you know, you, you have, you've been eating with Gentiles. You're not living in the same way that these, these Jews are. So if it's really all about this issue of who you eat with, if eating with someone can make you unclean, or if eating with certain foods can make you unclean, or if being uncircumcised means that you don't have this connection with God, 
that you're that you haven't been um, given Jesus's righteousness, then you um, you don't even do that stuff perfectly. You you live like a Gentile sometimes. So what what gives you the right to make these Gentiles feel like lesser than to withdraw from them just because these other people come along? So he's he's being he's really strongly making the point that he even called out Peter on this issue who was uh, considered a pillar of the 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 church, a very, very important person in the early church, important church leader. So he's he's making this point very strongly that it's not on the basis of anything you do, but it's on the basis of the free gift that we have received in Jesus. If you look at verse 21 of chapter 2, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. He's saying that if there was a possibility of gaining righteousness through obedience to the law, then why did Jesus need to die? But remember, that was never the purpose of the law. The law was never designed to bring righteousness, right? Righteousness always came through faith, just like with Abraham. So if people are thinking that righteousness comes through obedience of the law, they're saying that righteousness comes as a result of my ability to obey. And Paul's saying no one is able to obey completely. And so no one is able to earn that righteous status and, and therefore re remove themselves from judgment, uh, from being under judgment, from being under wrath. So very, very significant point. And, and you see again this Jew-Gentile thing coming up. This is so huge, the issue that the Gentiles have been brought into the church and are therefore one with the Jews is so big. And so therefore they should be able to eat together at the same table and it won't make the Jews unclean because it's about their common faith in Jesus rather than um, obedience to a particular set of works. And so he talks about the, uh, the idea of like, were you justified by works or by faith? That's he goes into that in chapter three, and he brings up the Abraham issue again. Again, this, he's writing to a different context, but it just shows that this is so firm in his thinking that that um, the that Abraham as a person of faith is uh, stands in front of the law because the law didn't exist when Abraham was around. So faith is is the means by which righteousness is granted, not the law. Because Abraham when Abraham was around, the law wasn't even around yet. And so how could how could righteousness be given to Abraham when there was no law? Well it's because Abraham had faith. You see that in verse nine of chapter three. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Verse 6, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So this is kind of a kernel form of the larger argument that you see in Romans regarding Abraham's relationship to faith and works. So the this whole letter is centered around the idea that the law served a particular purpose for a particular time, but is not the end-all be-all, right? Christ is the end-all be-all, and it's Christ who actually solves the problem of sin. 
And he says too, he's like, why would you want to, this is in chapter four, why would you want to return to enslavement under the law? Why would you want to return to that inferior way of life, this less ideal way of life? Isn't it so much better to live in freedom, to be free in Christ and to not be bound to this, this uh, system of the law, of works of the law? And so um, he's trying to say, uh, so you see in, in chapter 5, verse 1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't return to that old way of understanding, um, because Christ is superior and actually solves the problem of sin. So, this is huge. Verse 2 of chapter 5, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So, he's, it's, it's going back to this whole issue of, there's nothing wrong with being circumcised. There's nothing wrong with living as a Jew. However, so, and that's like, if I'm already a Jew and I come to faith in Jesus and I want to keep living in that way, I want to keep obeying the works, of, uh, certain works of the law, as long as I don't, as long as I understand that it's not on the basis of those works that I am gaining some kind of righteousness with God. But these Judaizers were misunderstanding that. They were thinking that, no, no, these, these works of the law this obedience to the law was somehow contributing to their righteousness. They were somehow earning their righteousness and somehow allowing themselves to, to no longer earn the wrath of God. And Paul's saying, no, 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 that's not the case. So again, for those that were already Jews, came to faith in Christ, not a problem for Paul if they want to circumcise their children, if they want to live as Jews that, are, that have faith in Christ. What his problem is, is if you say, now, Gentile, in order to receive this, the, the blessings of Abraham, in order to, to uh, be a part of the promises of God, in order to, uh, be, to pass through judgment and to be, to, for the wrath of God against you to be removed, you have to be circumcised. Paul says, no, absolutely not, because it is based on faith and not on works. Whenever you say you have to do something, then it gives the impression that you are actually earning something, that you are actually gaining your own righteousness. And he's saying, no, 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 you're not able to earn your own righteousness. Your own righteousness will always be insufficient. And, um, and Jesus has provided a way through his death and resurrection for conquering, um, for conquering that issue and solving the problem of sin and solving the problem of how, how we can be considered righteous and pass through judgment and be justified. So, Galatians is a great little book. It's only six chapters, it's, and it's small compared to the other books that you're reading for this module. Another really interesting thing to look at here is this issue of um, walking by the Spirit, right? Walking by the Spirit. You've probably, if you've been in church at all, you can uh, recall maybe some of, some of these things. He says in verse 16 of chapter 5, But I say... 
Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So he's, he's making a point here saying that you can be a person of the flesh who's under the law, which is not good, or a person of the Spirit who is not under the law, which is good. And one of the ways that you can see this is by uh, connecting them with uh, your actions and your attitudes. And so he gives, he says, these are the works of the flesh, these are the works of the Spirit, or these are the fruit of the Spirit. And so, very important point here, I think he's, what he's trying to make is that, is that you look at these people that are, that are um, saying that you need to be circumcised. What kind of lifestyle are they living? Are they characterized by the works of the flesh or the fruit of the Spirit? Do they seem to have the Spirit working within them, or do they seem to have the, their, their flesh working within them? And that's his way of kind of challenging the authenticity of their message by saying, man, if they're, if they're fleshly people, if they're not people that are exhibiting, showing that the Spirit is working within them, then uh, why, why are you listening to them? They obviously don't have any authority that you should be listening to. So, so I think that's what he's doing here is he's not, so he's turned the argument from defending himself to now kind of attacking the attacking the uh, the Judaizers and and telling them uh, why why they shouldn't listen to these Judaizers. Now the works of the flesh are evident: sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So I don't think that all of these things were being done by the Judaizers, but it is interesting that he's lumping, for example, something like um, dissensions, divisions, envy, which, you know, we go like, oh, that's not too big of a deal, along with something like sexual immorality, idolatry, sorcery, like those are like big, like big deal kind of things. It's like, oh, dang, dude, so you're considering all of these things in the same bucket. So the fact that these Judaizers are, 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 are creating dissension within the church because they're challenging Paul's message, this idea is, uh, is he's kind of like making a very offensive claim against them. Um, I warn you as I, so this is uh, 20, verse 21 again, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The implication is that these Judaizers do not belong to Christ Jesus, which means that they are not really true believers because they are relying on the works of the law to grant them righteousness. So they're not really true believers. These are people of the flesh. And so if these Judaizers are there when this letter is being read aloud in the church, they're going to be probably kind of ticked off, right? Because Paul's saying some kind of offensive stuff about them. But he's trying to convince the Galatians, don't listen to these people. They're fleshly people. They're not spiritual people. And then um, uh, verse 6 goes into um, a continuation kind of of the, the 
way that you should be living as followers of Jesus. So he talks about bearing one another's burdens. And again, I think that, that he's trying to, to imply that these other people that he, uh, that are, are combating his teaching, these Judaizers are not doing this, right? They are, um, they are not bearing one another's burdens. And so he's, he's building this huge argument that um, these people are not to be trusted. Their message is not to be considered authentic. I have the authentic, authoritative message that I receive from Jesus, and I exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, and they don't, right? Because they're they're bringing up dissension within the church. So everything centers around around that idea of Paul of Paul's purpose of encouraging them to re to remain faithful to the gospel that he preached to them, and to reject the new message that they have um, they have received. So definitely would love to hear your thoughts on Galatians uh, when I see you. Oh, and by the way, so Galatians key text, what I would say is this, Galatians 2, verses 15 and 16, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. No one will be made righteous. No one will be counted righteous because that's not the point of the law. The point of the law was to build awareness of sin, to provide a way for, um, for God's people to deal temporarily with the problem of sin, but to not deal with it once and for all. So that's what I've got for you on Galatians. Look forward to seeing you all in class.